welcome to Campus House. Thanks for coming out on this lovely weather day. Do you remember on Thursday when it was 70 degrees and sunny? That's the only day of spring we're having. So I hope you enjoyed it because tomorrow it's going to snow. <laughs> Why do we live in Indiana? So this guy, Abraham Kuyper, he died about 100 years ago. And the 80-some years that he lived, he, he really did some stuff with his life. He was a theologian. He was a reporter, uh, a journalist. He was an author. He was a politician. He was the, the prime minister of the Netherlands. He founded a, a newspaper. He established a church denomination. He started a university. And he, was, uh, he started also a, a Dutch political party. <laughs> Real slacker. This brilliant, incredibly influential man was well acquainted looking through lots of different lenses, um, academia, uh, philosophy, um, politics. And he said this, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Can we say that together? Can we just read that together? There is not a square inch in the whole of domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry mine. We want to wrap up this whole year with this sermon series called Every Square Inch. Whole gospel, whole life, whole world. In where we look at this gospel that shapes our whole life and then leads us into the world for the glory of Jesus and last week, Rick taught us about the whole gospel. And we are, as a backdrop for the series, we're doing a whirlwind tour through the book of Colossians. And these are a couple of verses that he read last week out of Colossians 1. By him, Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created, created through him. And for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus is the creator, he is the sustainer, he's the reconciler, he's the redeemer. Jesus is preeminent, he is sufficient, he is the truth by which all other truths are gauged. He is the root of our faith, he is the foundation of our love, he is the place of our hope. The storyline is that we were and are, without him, stuck in our own sin and brokenness, in our propensity toward evil. And the good news of the gospel is that he broke the chains of fear and hopelessness, that he rescued us from the kingdom of darkness, and that he transferred us to the kingdom of light. There is nowhere that you can go in this world that isn't his there is nothing that you can see that doesn't have his fingerprints on it and his label, mine. There is no other new beginning. He is Lord of everything, and there is nothing he can't handle. So the whole gospel is, in fact, Jesus. 
Paul is, is writing to Christians in Colossae, and he reminds them, this is in chapter 1, verse 6. He says, you have heard about the hope of the message of the gospel, and it's bearing fruit all over the world, but it's also bearing fruit in you since the first day you heard it and recognized God's grace in his truth. This gospel, the promise is that... Uh, his word doesn't return void. It's like every time the gospel is proclaimed, the promise is that it bears fruit. And it's bearing fruit all over the world. But it's also bearing fruit in you if you've come to receive his grace. And so that serves as a bit of segue into part two of the series. Today, tonight, I want to talk about every square inch the whole of your life. I want to talk about the integration of who you are and the integration of what you do, okay? So let me pray, and then we'll jump into this. God, thank you for a chance to worship you tonight. Thank you um, that you have given us this good news. Thank you that every page of Scripture points in one way or another to you, Jesus that you are before all things, you created all things, in you all things hold together. So we just want to uplift and praise your name tonight. Another promise is that when your name is lifted up, you draw men and women to yourself. And so that's my prayer tonight, that as we put the name of Jesus in front of our eyes and in front of our minds and our hearts, that you would, would draw us to yourself. Whatever barriers there are, would you remove those? Whatever, whatever distractions from really catching a glimpse of your truth and grace tonight, would you take those away? So we have a clear shot at you, at your love, your gaze, your affection, your delight in your people. Lord, we love you, and we pray that over these next few minutes, that through your word and through your spirit, you would stretch us and teach us, and you would encourage us. God, we uh, want to bring our whole lives into alignment with what is true about you and about us. And we pray all of that in Christ. Amen. All right. The integration of who you are. The integrated life. Uh, integration, actually, the word actually means to merge. It means uh, to fuse, to make whole. And Paul has a ton of stuff to say in the letter to the Colossian church about integration. Who we are and what we do. It's whole life maturity. And so I want to point out some things as we walk through really quickly tonight, some passages out of Colossians about who we are. And first of all, the integrated life has a both and nature. Okay? Are you ready? You good? Is it warm enough in here? Too warm? Need some coffee? Okay. I don't I don't know. Okay, so Colossians 1.25, there's a verse that talks about the whole gospel. And it says, Paul writes 
that the calling on his life was to present the word of God in its fullness, in its fullness. So this word fullness keeps showing up. And as you read through scripture, it's it's, uh, part of studying scripture and part of letting scripture read us is that we want to be aware of some threads and, and some words. And so as you're reading any passage of scripture, pay attention to uh, wh- what is the author saying and who is he saying it to and what was going on in that world when he said it. Or, and, and then it's like, what? how does this point to Jesus and what are the threads and what are the themes? And so one of the, the themes especially in these first few couple of chapters of Colossians, is fullness, the fullness. Paul says, I, I, want, I wanted to bring to you the word of God in its fullness. I want to bring the whole gospel. But that whole gospel has an impact on your whole life. For instance, chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. In Christ, you are complete, okay? That, that is a, a done deal that if you are in Christ, you have the fullness of Christ. But then he says this in chapter 2, verse 2 and 3. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. So they've been given, Christians, you all have been given the fullness of Christ. You've been brought to fullness. But Paul says, my goal is that you would keep being encouraged and united in love so that you may experience the full riches of complete understanding. And that you may know this this mystery that has been revealed, which is Jesus. That you can have complete assurance Complete confidence in your relationship with Christ, in where this relationship with Christ is going. So that we don't have to wake up every morning and wonder, you know, if I should die tonight, do I know where I would go? That's the, that's the question on the street, right? And with complete assurance, it's like not because of what you have done or not because of your own goodness, not because of your own abilities, but completely wrapped around the cross of Christ, you can have full assurance in him. And so the fullness of confidence in the fullness of Christ. And then this in chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart. I already said that. In 128, he is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. So the fullness of Christ and complete assurance and then complete maturity. Complete maturity. This whole idea of maturity um, has to do with what is already true and what will be true. <laughs> this is the both and nature of this, this integrated life in Christ. You have been given the fullness of Christ, but you are being fully, you are being made fully mature. 
It's like um, I was uh, visiting a friend of mine who owns a company. And this company uh, is, uh, he started it in his house. And he lived like way below the poverty line for years and years. And then the company took off and it just has grown. And it's actually an international company now. So I, I was down there, and he took me on a tour of his factory, and it was just fascinating. And, and I met his son, and his son is like heir to the company, okay? His son, uh, it's, it's a no-brainer. No it's, it's a done deal that uh, when my friend retires, his son will become CEO of that company. And uh, right now, he's in charge of one of the labs in that company. He also has swept floors and he has worked in the warehouse, and he has spent time, and he will spend time in every role in the company so that he can know that company inside and out. But it's a done deal that he is going to be the CEO of the company. <laughs> he's already been given the fullness of that position, but he is being brought, he's becoming, uh, he is maturing into that role. Does that make sense? And I think that's a picture of what Paul says about our, both our status, both our position in Christ, and then being brought into this place of maturity. You have been, you are be, being, you will be. You have been brought into the fullness of Christ through what Christ has already done. And Paul just keeps proclaiming and admonishing and teaching the gospel so that you will have the full riches of complete understanding. In order that you may know and be fully mature in Christ. And so this integrated life is one that is both and. It is also a long obedience in the same direction. That's a, a phrase coined by Eugene Peterson. And he says this in chapter 1, verse 9. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him bearing fruit in every good work, and growing in the knowledge of God. And this in chapter 2. So then, verse 6, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. We're asking that you may, may be filled so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, bearing fruit in every good work, so you can continue your lives in him, rooted and built up in him. It's, it's a continual walk with Jesus. It's not something that we check off the list. It's not something that we, uh, we accomplish, and then we can move on. And we know that, you know, we, most of us know that. We, we know that that's what is different about Christianity, that it's not religion. It's a relationship. And yet, there's still sometimes part of our thinking or the way that we uh, approach God that it's like, okay, thank you for saving me. Um, thank you for rescuing me. I'll take it from here. You know? It's like at some point, we realized that we needed God. We needed his grace. We needed to be rescued out of darkness and into light. But then we, we slip back into this mode of self-sufficiency, especially if things are going pretty smoothly. 
then the, the need and the impulse and the urgency for a Savior, the urgency for his grace diminishes and we slip into, I've got it. Yeah. And that's why Paul just urges us, if we continue, 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 continue our reliance on God, to walk with him, to remain in him, to abide with him. There's, there are no shortcuts. There's no prescription. There's no quick fix. It's no checking it off the list to long obedience. Thirdly, this integrated life is all in. It's a whole life commitment. Commitment. Do you remember uh, in, in school, grade school, probably you had like little cubbies? Anybody had cubbies in your school? That word cubbies, you know, the word cubbies, it's like little, little compartments where you put your stuff in when you came into school. And uh, there are no cubbies <laughs> with this walk with Christ. It's an all-in, whole-life commitment. There are no compartments. And here's a verse. Verse 1 of chapter 3 says, Since you've raised, been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you then also will appear with him in glory. This setting your hearts on things above and setting your mind on things above. Setting your emotions, your passions, your motivations, your excitements, your heart. And setting your mind, your ideas, your philosophies of life, your worldview, your intellect, your thoughts, your mind. Paul says you've been raised with Jesus. And now he is your life. He says in, uh, in another place, you, you are not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, worship and honor God with everything that you have. It's this integration of heart and mind that Jesus is your life. And so because you have uh, been raised with Christ, because you have this newness of life, then he wants all of your life. And he says this in chapter 3, verse 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. See, whole life discipleship and, and spiritual maturity is about, about integration of heart and mind around the Lordship of Jesus. It's, it's, a, it's about holistic. It's about um, integrity. It's about everything put together. The opposite of that is disintegration. The opposite of that is, is separating things out. And this is a description of what that looks like. This put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Paul says you used to walk in these ways. 
This used to describe your life and the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all of these things, anger and rage and malice and slander and filthy language from your lips. Don't lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. And he goes on to say, there's no separation now because Christ is all and is in all. And then he goes on in, in verse 12 and he says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all of these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. Verse 9 says, you've taken off your old self with its practices. You've, you've taken off your old self. When you said yes to Jesus, your old self that was scarred with, with lust and greed and wrong desires and anger and cheap sex and getting, getting even, and the list goes on and on. All the stuff that kept killing your soul has itself been killed off. You've been given a, a new life. So in light of that, continue to put to death, throw away, get rid of anything that would pry you away from Christ. He is your life. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. It's no Jesus and this. It's just Jesus. And this kind of, of integration, this, this whole life is worship. This I don't keep little closets and compartments and cubbies to myself. This is all the way through Scripture. When, when God first called the people of Israel, and in Deuteronomy 6, he gives them the law, and he says this. He says, the Lord your God is one. Therefore, worship the Lord with all your heart and with all your mind and with all your soul and with all your strength, with everything that you have, that we don't just parse out, I worship God with my heart, but my mind, that's, that's mind, you know, or vice versa. It's like worshiping God with everything that you have. This is what it says in uh, Psalm 19, may the words of my mouth but also the meditation of my heart be holy and acceptable to you, my Lord. Not just what I say when I come into, you know, a room in this ugly mushroom building. Not just the words that I sing when they're up on the screen, but the actual meditation of my heart. God, would you, would you align, would you integrate my heart with my words? In Philippians, Paul says, it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good pleasure. Not just act, but to will. Not just the extraneous and external religious stuff, but actually the heart. God is all about integration. Matthew 5, 8 in the message says, you're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and heart put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. So this is, that's half the message right there. Actually, 
time-wise, two-thirds of the message, the whole of your life is the integration of who you are. Not compartmentalizing out our hearts and our minds and our gut and our feelings and our intellect, but every part of us, God saying, yes, that is mine. It is all in, committed, whole life discipleship. I'm not trying to keep part of it secret. I'm not trying to keep part of it removed from the lordship of Jesus. It is all in. That's half of it. Here's the other half. The whole of your life is also the integration of what you do. So this passage is smaller. This is chapter 3, verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. Quick tangent, that goes back to the whole gospel because one thing that Jesus is besides creator and sustainer is that he also is the reconciler. And he has reconciled us to to God through the cross. We We were separated from God because of our sin, but the cross became a bridge and now we are reconciled to God. Yeah, isn't that good? That's like the best news ever, right? Because of that, we are called to peace. We're called to to peace. We're called to reconciliation with God, but we're also called to peace, to reconciliation, to to whole life reconciliation within us. We're also called to be ambassadors of reconciliation. But that's next week. Okay, and so let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts and be thankful and let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs in the spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. It's like, okay, I get that. That really, you're describing my spiritual life, right? That, that I've been called to peace and so I've been reconciled to God. I understand that that's the message of the gospel. And when I gather, we, we sing psalms and hymns and you know, spiritual songs, and we, we are thankful. We have prayers of thanksgiving, and we're, we're worshiping with gratitude in our hearts, and we let the gospel, you know, we, we teach and admonish and, and encourage one another with, this, with the scripture. That's spiritual stuff. And then he says this, and, verse 17, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So that's a major mic drop because it's not just the spiritual stuff that we do. It is all of life becomes worship. Everything that we do means everything that we do. And everything that we do is to be done in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Verse 23, whatever you do, work at it with your heart, with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the the Lord Christ you are serving. So this integrated life is, first of all, everything that you do. Everything fits into whatever, whether you are studying business, or you're going to be a teacher, or you are, you know, double E, or the myriad of, of 
degrees represented in this room. Whatever you do, you are to glorify God in what you do and in how you do it. He says, doing it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is, this is the question I asked myself as I was writing this sermon. Can I tag in the name of the Lord Jesus onto what I do? Can I honestly put in the name of the Lord Jesus onto the end of everything that I do? And can I put that onto all of my motivation as well? Can I put that onto all of my thoughts as well? In, we have a couple of, of uh, you know, this is like a fork in the road. You can go to shame with that. Let's stay away from shame. Let's stay away from condemnation. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So that's not a question to shame us. That is a question to invite us to look at the whole of our lives under the lordship of Jesus. And to be honest about, are there things that we do say, that we do do, that we do think that are not honoring to Jesus? And can we confess those before him? And can we repent of those? And can we realign with what is true? The other thing is that I think it takes away this whole sacred-secular divide. If just the spiritual stuff, just the sacred stuff is, is what we do, like in this kind of gathering or in a community group or in worship night in a couple of weeks, then that's just a very, very small percentage of our life. And so what happens with the rest of our life, right? But if, if there is no square inch of your life where Jesus does not say mine, if it all already belongs to him, then there is no division between worship and class or work or marriage or uh, your friendships, your relationships, your, your family life, your uh, getting up and brushing your teeth, going, going to life, life, all of life belongs to him. And so what does it look like then to live life in the name of Jesus? It's not a, it's not a mantra. You know, we, we pray in the name of Jesus, but that's not like some sort of superstitious tag so it will come true. What we are saying when we pray in the name of Jesus and what we are saying when we work in the name of Jesus and what we're saying when we think in the name of Jesus and what we're saying when we live in the name of Jesus is that Jesus, I, I am seeing this and I'm working this and I'm praying this through the lens of the truth of who you are. I, I'm doing this and I'm thinking this for your glory. And according to your scripture, your glory has everything to do with everything and not just the stuff that I set apart that I, I think would, would bring honor to you. In Mark chapter 9 says, giving a cup of cold water in the name of Jesus actually blesses and honors Jesus. The most mundane act in the name of Jesus is worship. Isn't that amazing? 
Oh, friends, when we move from this this separation of what is spiritual to every, between what is spiritual and in everyday life and just seeing it all as under God's reign, then we are moving into what it means to be people of his kingdom. And here's the cool part. I, if, if we took a poll, I could almost guarantee that every single one of you in this room want to live in a way that has purpose. Yeah. In a way that has meaning. In a way that, that matters that stands for something, this is it. In fact, this isn't just a way to have a purposeful life. It's the way to have a purposeful life. Because you're living for now, now for something that is eternal. You're living for something that is real, that won't fade, that won't tarnish that you can't lose. So, the integrated life is everything that you do because it's in the name of Jesus. And the last thing is this. The integrated life is how you do everything that you do. It's not just what we do, but it's how we do what we do. Which just further, uh, you know, gives us this, this every square inch mentality. The verse is, whatever you do, this is verse 23, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. Another translation says, wholeheartedly, a singleness of mind and purpose without hypocrisy. So whether we cook a meal or teach a class or treat a patient or design something or engineer something or manage something or create something, if work is done as to the Lord, it changes the nature of our work, but it also changes our motivation. If, if we're, we're working as for the Lord or if we are studying as for the Lord or if we are, um, if we're, we're seeing Jesus as as our supervisor or our manager or our boss, then it changes our motivation. It changes our purpose. It changes the actual work. Charlie Peacock says, regardless of what you do, your imagination should be engaged for your proximity where you have the resources and abilities to make a difference, to push back the effects of the fall. So what I'm saying is this, that whatever job you do, it is a holy and sacred calling. It is a responsibility. It is given to you by God to serve him in that context. That the, the role of our work is serving God and bearing his image and, and really working toward the flourishing of humanity and to bring wholeness out of chaos and to be faithful in small things and to be a conduit of salt and light and living as walking proof of the resurrection. To be a context, the context of your life is to be a canvas to live for Christ, to reflect him, to display who he is. 
But our motivation and our character is just as important as the actual action and the actual work. How we do what we do is as important to Jesus as what we do. Walker Percy says, it's possible to get all A's and still flunk life. (laughs) There's a temptation to believe that competence can be separated from character. I, I did some, you know, word study about this whole word integration and, and, you know, disintegration being the, the opposite of that, that disintegration is decay and separation instead of wholeness and congruency. But the word integrity is the same word as well. And so it is, it is wholeness within your own, your own heart in your own mind. It is who you are when no one is looking. It is not fractured. It is not two-faced. It is not pretentious. It's not disingenuous. It's not people-pleasing. It's not just doing the bare minimum. It's not sucking up to the right people. It's not being unethical. It is the whole of who you are from the inside out. So the whole of your life the integration of who you are and the integration of what you do put together uh, equals every square inch of your existence. Colossians 3, 4 says, your new life, which is your real life, even though invisible to spectators, is with Christ in God. He is your life. Every square inch of your life belongs to him, inside and outside. So I want to ask a couple of questions just in light of all of that. And actually, this would be kind of another good segue into our time of communion. So if you're helping out with that, that's your cue. Can, Can you go back to that Abraham Kuyper quote? Let's read this one more time. There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry mine. So a couple of questions. Is there anything in your life that is difficult to surrender fully to his lordship. This is true, but we have to participate in that, right? Like last week, Rick was talking about the the fact is that Jesus has first place. He has preeminence. And whether we believe that or not, he still has it. And whether we want that or not, he still has it. And so the, the movement of discipleship and of surrender and of really trusting him is to believe what is already true and to align with that. And this is another example of that. There's not a square inch in all of human existence where Jesus, in all of his sovereignty, does not say mine. 
So when it comes to your life and when it comes to your heart and when it comes to your mind and when it comes to, to your emotions and when it comes to your work, when it comes to your relationships, when it comes to your past and when it comes to your future, is there any square inch of your life that is still tucked away in the cubby? That is still has a padlock because I'm just not ready yet. Either there's too much shame on that, there's too much disappointment. I've been burned before, I don't want to be burned again. Or my whole identity is wrapped around that. It's either a place of fear or a place of pride. So the invitation is to bring it out into the open of God's good grace and say, it's yours. To give him what is already his. So that's my question for us tonight. And again, can we guard against hearing that from a place of of shame. There is no condemnation in that. There is invitation. Because my guess is, and what's been true of my own life, is the stuff that gets bottled up and the stuff that I'm trying to hang on to and the stuff that is so hard to give him lordship of, that's the stuff that is just eating me that's the stuff that is bringing sadness. That's the stuff that is, is bringing pain. That is, that is what I most need to give him lordship over. And he is so patient. And he doesn't jump in and pry the door open. He simply knocks and waits. So tonight, 